This is The Picnic Pod with Georgia and Alex. Big organisations and governments can have a huge impact, but also individuals can make a difference. And I'm a really big believer in a lot of small changes really leading to a big collective movement. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is now episode 11. 11. If you haven't already read the title, we've got another guest episode today. So we normally start off our episodes with a recommendation each. I'm not sure if you've got something from last week or, you know, a new favourite TV show or something that you wanted to recommend. I'm just trying to think about the audiobooks that I've been listening to. It's not sustainability related, but can I still? Oh, that's so fine. (laughs) Okay, cool. You guys go first and then I'll jump in. Yeah. Okay. So I have been watching actually a new TV show called Jury Duty. And um, I don't know if you've heard of it, Lottie, but it's by the people that wrote The Office in the US. Um, And pretty much it's a TV show where there's all these actors except one person and there's like a real guy in there and they're putting on like this mock Jury Duty, but he actually thinks it's real. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say because it's just hilarious. It's like a comedy kind of show and um, I don't normally watch TV. So when I found this and started binging it, I was like, okay, I found my show. (laughs) Um, That's my recommendation. Alex, what's yours? My recommendation of the week is also a TV show um, and it's called Poker Face. It's on Stan. It's a bit of a comedy slash mystery um and every episode has a completely new cast besides the main character um and she's on the run from these people so she's like yeah going through different towns and stuff meeting different people along the way and it's really funny and I don't want to spoil anything to do with the show so that's all I also say (laughs) I feel like there's been so many clickbaits here, but I'm I'm really keen. I'm really keen for both of them. I've actually had somebody else recommend Jury Duty to me, so I feel like it is definitely doing the rounds at the moment. I think for me, my recommendation is an audio book. So obviously you could read the real book as well. I've just been doing a lot of listening lately, and that is called The Silent Patient. And I feel like it's definitely not like a self-help or development book. It is very much like a psychological thriller but it for me was just like that bit of escapism that I needed and it hooked me from the get-go. Amazing. Mm, I know a few people that have read that book and have said it's really really good. I've got it. I haven't read it yet but they've said it's really good. Quite twisted and dark but I I did quite like it which is different for me. I don't normally read or listen to a lot of like thrillers but yeah it was Mm. a bit of I'm not going to say fun but it was a (laughs) good listen yeah well I guess this is a good time because I didn't actually introduce you very well Lottie but could you take this opportunity now to tell us a bit about you and the story I guess behind what you've created nowadays called Banish and everything that's a part of that No worries. Yeah, so my name is Lottie Diel and I am the founder and CEO of Banish, which is an education platform and an e-commerce store that helps teach people how to live more sustainably. Um, Banish launched just over five years ago now and has been able to influence and help over 500,000 Australians reducing their waste. Um, I'm also 
a couple of years ago launched the Brad program, which is Banishes Recycling and Disposal program, which recycles hard to recycle household items like blister packs and beauty products and coffee pods and stops them from going to the wrong pit and sends them to the right pit, which is our Brad pit. So I think the real reason that I kind of started Banish five years ago was I was that person who wanted to do something when it came to helping the planet. I was reading all of the doom and the gloom and the news headlines and the articles, but there wasn't really anything about the kind of action. It was all kind of telling us everything that was going wrong with the planet and there was bushfires and there was so many different things happening, but it wasn't like, okay, so climate change is happening, but here's how to do something about it. So I really saw this opportunity out of a personal need to kind of go, okay, well, I can't be the only one who's feeling like this. And yes, big organizations and governments can have a huge impact, but also individuals can make a difference. And I'm a really big believer in a lot of small changes really leading to a big collective movement. So that's kind of what I have created at Banish. So I was working as a journalist at the time. So now I use those skills as a journalist to communicate and to educate people on the actionable steps that they can take to reduce their environmental impact, but also digesting those huge, big, chunky studies and making them digestible and understandable and really empowering people to be able to make changes in their lives and to really make a significant impact. That's amazing. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you. Is there like a particular reason why you got into that mindset and became so passionate about sustainability and really wanting to help? To be honest, I didn't really have like aha movement or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It wasn't like I was completely moved after a documentary and needed to completely change my lifestyle. It was more the fact that I'd set a bunch of ambitious New Year's resolutions at the start of that year, one of which was just to do better when it came to the planet. It wasn't to go completely plastic free. It wasn't to become a vegan. It wasn't anything completely drastic. It was just to, I knew that I could be doing more. And I think when I started doing the research and kind of going down the rabbit hole, that's when I was finding out so much more. And there was just, it was kind of like uncovering all of these different bits and pieces and all of these different sustainable swaps. So when in probably Vanish's first year, I'm going to say it was very much like, what does Lottie need to purchase? And it would be like, okay, so next, my next sustainable swap will be to, I don't know, a natural deodorant. And I do all of this research into the best types of natural deodorants. What are ones that are Australian made? What are ones that don't include palm oil? And then I would be able to contact those suppliers and those brands and get them on board as part of Vanish. So it was very much a selfishly personal journey. Um, But now, obviously, five years on, it is more of an education and it is more about kind of taking people on that journey. I'm definitely nowhere near perfect, but I'm doing a lot better than I was when I first started. Yeah, amazing. I think you brought up pretty much how I was going to ask my next question, but this sense of overwhelm, I feel like a lot of people don't know where to start um, in terms of like how to become more environmentally friendly, um, especially at our age. So I'm 23, Alex just turned 24 actually, and I do my best to kind of be a little bit more gentler on the planet, but I think a lot of people have raised it with me before about 
I just don't know where to begin. And I think my question now is, you know, what is one thing that people usually get wrong or they're kind of a bit, you know, unsure about eco-friendly products and sustainability? There's these terms like greenwashing and, um, you know, all these labels that we hear. What's something that you, I guess, from your experience have found that people usually get wrong (laughs) in this kind of context? I feel like the biggest thing that people actually get wrong is thinking that it's harder than it is. And you're right in saying that that overwhelm is very real. And it's almost that like paralysis of not wanting to do anything because you're so petrified of just doing it wrong and kind of like making a purchasing choice, feeling like you've been greenwashed, so then giving up. And I think that is really common and it's really easy and I can completely understand why people feel like that. But I think for me, I would always talk about sustainability as a journey and not something that has an end goal or an end destination. So I think it's all about just doing better than you were doing yesterday. And when it comes to those first swaps and taking those kind of first steps, I would really look at your individual consumption and how you can make better purchasing decisions. Um, I don't like to be prescriptive because everybody is on their own journey and they live completely different lives. But a couple of things that I would really recommend that people do when they're looking for their next sustainable swap or their sustainable purchase is to look at the brand and make sure that they have a really clear ethics on their website, sustainability page or an ethics page. I think any good brand will have something like that. It would be looking at what is on the outside of the product, so the type of packaging that it includes. Um, It would be looking at what's on the inside of the product. So kind of giving it a rough scan and looking for third-party certification. So that could be something like the Australian Certified Organic symbol. It could be the Australian Made symbol. It could be the Cruelty-Free Leaping Bunny. There are so many different third-party accreditations that I think are really great because it's not just the brand saying, look at me, I'm sustainable. It's going, no, well, here's actually somebody else who has been through through our books and our suppliers and our supply chain and has been able to certify that we're actually doing the right thing. And I would also thirdly think about you, how you as a consumer are going to consume this product. How long is it going to last you? How often are you going to use it? And will you really kind of look at that kind of cost per use, not only from a budgeting perspective, but also from an environmental perspective? Because you might be kind of, I don't know, fall down the rabbit hole and go, yes, you know what? I need this like sustainable gua sha tool and it's going to completely revolutionize my skincare routine. And realistically, like I've got one sitting in my cupboard that has been collecting dust for so long. And if I was to kind of spend the time and effort that I did in researching and trying to find that product, I could have probably looked at something like, I don't know, a toothpaste that I use twice a day that is going to be far more beneficial. And I can then look at really making that a more sustainable purchase and really looking down into kind of what, yeah, like what the different sustainability credentials are of that product. But it is difficult and it is confusing. And I think that's why places like Banish now exist so that it takes the guesswork out of it for people so that they can literally just go, okay, this is Banish approved. This has been Banish certified. So I know that this is actually going to be able to tick 
some kind of environmental credentials because there isn't a green tick of approval in Australia. You can't just walk into a shop and go, ah, yes, the word eco-friendly. Of course, that must be sustainable. Yeah, I have noticed that. It is very overwhelming and confusing. (laughs) So you touched on Brad um, before when you were telling us a bit about yourself and Banish. So I don't think we're alone. I know I definitely struggle with knowing what I'm actually meant to be recycling. Like I have my bin and I have my recycle bin and I'm still like, I'm so confused. (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit more about recycling in particular and what are just kind of like the most common things that I guess people are putting in the recycling bin that we assume can actually be recycled that actually can't be recycled? Yeah, so we call these recycling contaminants or contaminators. And the biggest ones in Australia are soft plastics going in your curbside recycling bin, mm-hmm. coffee cups, clothing, dirty nappies, which probably doesn't apply as much to your audience, but also it's dirty materials. So things like that have got way too much food waste, like you finish your Chinese takeaway and it's gone off. So you put literally half of your fried rice which is still in a container, into the recycling bin. So those are kind of the most common things that we see. Um, From my perspective, I think as well, something that's really important for people that I don't think a lot of people understand is that there's almost like there's a size guide for recycling. And if anything, if something is smaller than a credit card, then chances are it cannot go into your curbside recycling bin. So say, for example, something like a metal bottle top lid won't be able to go into your curbside recycling bin because when it goes to those recycling processing facilities, it's so small that it will literally either fly off the conveyor belt or literally slip through the cracks. So that's something that's really important to note. And when you go to your recycling bin, it could be like looking at it going, okay what size is this am I able to recycle it but also bunching together like-minded or similar products so this was a really good example coming around like when we back were at Easter things like the drag is a really great resource and something that can be infinitely recycled but if you think about like a tiny Cadbury Easter egg, that is a tiny piece of alfoil, which cannot be recycled alone. But if we bunch it together and we roll it into a ball that is bigger than a golf ball, which is then inadvertently going to be bigger than a credit card, we can then curbside recycle it. So I think that's something that's really important for people to note. And I also think when it comes to recycling, and like you said, really not knowing what to do and getting to the bin and go, oh, oh I'm not really sure what, what bin this should go in. My advice for people is if in doubt, throw it out. Don't participate in wish cycling. It can break your heart. And if it is really that heartbreaking for you and you're standing there going, I'm really not sure how to recycle this, then do a quick Google search. Look at your local council's website and figure out whether that item can or cannot be recycled. Or if it is bin day, put it into your curbside landfill bin for that week. And then do your research if it's an item that you use frequently and for next time, then you can be powered with that, with those tools and that information to able to actually make the right decision on where that can and can't go. I think another thing for people if they're just starting out with recycling is looking for the Australasian recycling label. For too long, we've looked at the little triangle on the back of products that's got a number in the middle of it. This isn't actually a code that tells us if something can be recycled or not. This code actually tells us the type of plastic that it's made from. So that 
system is redundant and what we should be looking for instead is the Australasian recycling label. Now, this is a voluntary program right now, so not every single product has it on the back of it, but so many more products are starting to put these um, labels on the back. And this will really clearly tell you whether it can be recycled or not, or whether it needs to something, or there's the third symbol is like a an extra step needs to happen in order for this to be recycled. So this could be something like screw the lid back on, or this is e-waste, it needs to go to a specialty recycling program. So that's what I would encourage people to do is look for that symbol rather than looking at the plastic resin codes. Very interesting. Gosh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> knowledge um you mentioned it before but soft plastics so what's the go with them now I know you just said if in doubt throw them out but do you know any sort of progress in terms of is that red cycle program going to come back or is that done for good yes so right now the directive is to put your soft plastics into your curbside landfill bin if there are a couple of small programs that exist around Australia that are collecting soft plastics on a smaller scale um, most of the ones that I know exist in New South Wales so if you are in New South Wales have a look Um, your local council will have information about whether they're accepting soft plastics or not Um, but for the rest of people my advice is to throw them in the landfill bin. I know it is heartbreaking and I know that there are so many people that are like holding on to them and hoarding them in their garages. But the thing is that one of the reasons why this program didn't work was because of the overwhelming demand. So eventually when we hope to see this program start up again, they'll be using a lot of the metrics from when they first start to they'll be looking at the data to see like around how much they're going to be accepting and what quantities they're dealing with. So if we've got everybody in Australia sitting at home with a garage filled with soft plastics, then when the program opens up again to drive down to their local supermarket and to drop off all of this stuff, we're going to completely overwhelm the system and we're going to end up in square one, back at square one. So that's what I would be recommending for people. But the biggest thing I think in all of this is to reduce your consumption of soft plastics. We can be frustrated at the system and that we were lied to and that everybody thought that things were being recycled when they weren't actually being recycled. But the biggest thing in all of this is that we were relying on a system and recycling isn't the answer. Reducing our consumption really is the answer. In terms of when the program is going to come back, um, I don't have any specific intel, unfortunately, on when or if it is coming back. All I know is that Coles, Woolworths and a couple of the other major supermarkets are working together to deal with the soft plastics that exist right now from the collection points and to work out a plan for the future. But we're not exactly sure what that plan is, when it will be coming back, etc. So again, please just where you can reduce your consumption of soft plastics. Moving on from soft plastics in particular, in terms of the best place to start when we're wanting to be more sustainable, more eco-friendly, what's your kind of go-to everyday products that young people could purchase um, to help with the planet? I don't like to be prescriptive. I'm just going to keep on saying it um, Mm -hmm. because I don't want people to purchase things for the sake of it. I want them to look at what they're purchasing, um, what they're, I would probably say, look at what you, 
it's like when you use it up, then make a sustainable switch. So when it comes yeah. to your beauty routine, look at what you're almost empty and then make that sustainable switch. Um, because I think you could have been that person that I don't know when your favorite shampoo was on sale, you bought three bottles and you've got enough for the next three years. There's no point you throwing out those perfectly good plastic bottles that have got all of this product in there. It's about using up what you've already got at home and then making a sustainable switch. So I think that would be my number one thing is go through the depths of your cupboard and really try and use everything that's in there already. Um, But a couple of products that I think probably every single person would use would be something like a bamboo toothbrush. It's so simple and it's so easy, but every single plastic toothbrush that anybody who is living right now has ever used still exists and will outlive us it takes they think because we haven't been around a long enough long enough to actually find out but they estimate that it takes between three to four hundred years for a plastic toothbrush to break down in landfill so right now we have got billions of plastic toothbrushes that are just sitting in landfill not doing a whole lot so swapping to a bamboo toothbrush is a really great simple easy swap that again is going to make that ongoing difference in your routine um i don't want to talk too much about purchasing because i think when you're a young person trying to live more sustainably i think the biggest things that you can do are to use multi-use products so one product that is going to actually be able to be used multiple different times so this could be something like a shampoo bar that can also cross as a shaving bar and also cross as a body bar I think is a really good one Um, often shampoo bars can cost a little bit more I think the ones that we've got are $16 but that shampoo bar is the equivalent to six plastic bottles of shampoo and conditioner so when you look at the long-term use of that product it's going to be far more economic um, economical but also environmentally friendly as well and then I think another swap that I would recommend isn't technically purchasing but it would be to remember your reusables so I think these days most people have at least one reusable coffee cup at home um, and it would be really making good use of that often you'll get 50 percent 50 cents off sorry at your local cafe Um, but also if you aren't in an economic position to be able to afford to buy a reusable product op shops are filled with reusable coffee cups so I would definitely recommend heading to them um, to find some often they'll have like really cool glass ones and ceramics and stuff like that Um, so I would definitely yeah recommend doing that and then another thing that you could do would be to potentially look at going meat free for either one meal a day so it could be kind of being like okay I'm gonna have meat free breakfasts or it could be one one day of the week so like meat meat free Monday for example this is really going to help not only the planet but it's also going to be far more economically beneficial as well Um, I'm just kind of trying to lean into that economics because I feel like there's a big perception with sustainability at the moment is that it's kind of like a rich person's problem and that it's only accessible for people who are in a financial position to make these kind of switches and swaps. But I think there are so many small things that we can do that will both help our budgets and our wallets, but will also impact the planet too. I really like how you're kind of emphasizing the need 
to look at what you already consume and thinking about like it's not the the point isn't to buy extra stuff to make me more like to make us more sustainable it's about what we're looking at the moment one thing that I struggle with and I'm more than happy to admit is food waste and like we study dietetics so we're very much in the world of food Um, but being a student I'm often getting food for the week and then I don't end up eating at all and there's lots of tips you know you could suggest but in this topic of food waste what is something that you can really suggest and um, encourage people to do? I think first of all, so the stats around food waste are kind of ridiculous. So it's something like the average household throws away two and a half thousand dollars worth of food every year. Like it's literally like one in five shopping bags that you bring into your home ends up wasted. It's a huge stat. So I think first of all, it would be looking at your purchasing again and really planning out your week and kind of going, how many nights am I going to be home? Am I going out for dinner with friends this week? Am I going to be studying? Like, what am I going to be cooking? And really sticking to that plan. Obviously, things happen, not all plans, not everything goes to plan. But I think that is a really good way. And also, when you are purchasing, like, I used to be that person that my shopping list would be like, I don't know, broccoli, eggs, cheese, this, that. Now it is like 150 grams of broccoli, 200 grams of cheese, two tins of chickpeas. Because I think it's so easy to get to the shops and kind of look at something and be like, oh my gosh, it's like so much cheaper for me to buy three kilos of rice instead of buying the only the 200 grams that I need or something like that. So really itemizing on your shopping list exactly how much you need. And that's when I think if you do have access to bulk food stores, they can work out to be cheaper. I know that when sometimes you look at the like per 100 grams or whatever it is weight, they can look at bit like them being more expensive. But there is a really big environmental and economic benefit in being able to buy like just 50 grams of something that you need. So that's also that's what I would look at. First of all, what you're bringing into your home. I think next would be your freezer is your friend and use it to the best of your ability. Like it is a time capsule for your food. And I'm sure you guys know, like fresh vegetables, for example, freezing them is going to lock in that goodness and those nutrients. So the sooner you can freeze something, the better it's going to be for you nutritionally, but also for the planet because you're not popping it into the garbage. Um, I would also look at the way that you're storing foods and be really savvy with that. It's not as simple as throwing everything into your crisper. There are so many little tricks that you can do in order to extend your the shelf life of your fruit and vegetables in particular. For example, what the way that fridges work is they often dry out and they dehydrate foods. So one of my favorite things to do is I store a lot of vegetables in water. I literally have like my biggest Tupperware container sitting in the fridge. And in that is all of my citrus. So things like lemons and oranges, not mandarins, but lemons and oranges. I also put in all of my carrots. I chop up all of my celery so that I can fit it into my fridge, number one. But then I also put it in water so that it doesn't dehydrate and go bendy and then I also put my ginger in there so I have this like swimming pool in my fridge and that means that my carrots don't go bendy my celery actually gets eaten because number one it's chopped into bite-sized pieces rather than being these like long stems that require me to actually do something with um but also it just literally your carrots will last for weeks it is just ridiculous um and it's amazing and it's really great 
There is another thing when it comes to leafy greens. There's a product that we sell on Vanish, which is called a veggie saver, which kind of works like a giant envelope that's made from a three-layered material that locks in that moisture. So again, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to dehydrate your vegetables. This product works really, really well for herbs and leafy greens because again, you're not letting them dehydrate. But if you don't want to make that purchase, you can also use a damp tea towel. So literally wet it under some water, roll up your, I don't know, your kale or your basil or something like that and store it damp in that tea towel in your fridge will also extend the shelf life of those veggies as well. I could really go on for so long and do a whole episode on food waste, but those are a couple of my like little favorite tidbits. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. What's your opinion on, I guess, when we, you know, go on social media, look at the news and we're seeing, you know, celebrities or people that are more wealthy uh, living a life, I guess, that kind of goes against, um, you know, that sustainable living and, you know, helping the earth, helping climate change. And I guess feeling like seeing that and then feeling like, well, is there any actual point to what I'm doing? Because, you know, this little change that I'm making when people are doing these things on such a large scale, it is pretty defeating. Um, So I just wanted to know, like, how do you kind of get the mindset back that, yes, I actually can make a difference by doing these tiny little things, even though there is people doing these things that have such a big impact? Yeah, I feel like you can look at like celebrities who are obviously flying private jets all around the world. And you can also though look at your friends and family who aren't probably making the most sustainable choices. And that can be really frustrating and really disheartening as well. And it's often those people like you might be living at home still with parents who don't recycle right or who love to consume plastic. And I understand that it's really frustrating and it's really difficult because you're trying to do all of these things and that it's kind of like, well, what's the point if they're just going to be, I don't know, wrapping every individual banana in plastic? Probably not going to be doing that, but you know what I mean. Um, So I think what my biggest tip here is when it kind of comes to having that mental mindset, it's being really clear and focusing on what you can control and not what you can't. So there's no real way that you're going to stop celebrities catching private jets and flying 10 minutes between different cities around the world. There's not, like you can probably positively influence the people that you live with and your family and friends, but by yelling at them and telling them that they're not doing enough and they're not doing a good job is not probably going to be the way to go. For me, it's by leading by example and it's by positive um, reinforcement. So it's kind of highlighting things that people have done well. If it's kind of looking at your family, it could be like, I'm going to start having, I don't know, one meat-free meal a week. I've decided that I'm going to cook it for the whole family. If anybody wants to enjoy it with me, then they're welcome to. Otherwise, I'm going to freeze it and I'll have it for lunches for the rest of the week. They might try that meal. They might decide that they really enjoyed that, I don't know, that vegetarian curry over a lamb Rogan Josh that they normally had, for example. It's by leading by example and making it easy rather than kind of looking to, I don't know, you could be going for a coffee walk with a friend 
why don't you bring a reusable cup for them as well so that they don't actually have to go out of their way to do anything. You're like, oh, hey, there's, I bought you a reusable cup because I thought you might forget it. They're not going to turn around and say, I'm not using your silly cup. They will use your cup. You might have to wash it at the end, but you're washing your own cup anyway, so it doesn't really make that much of a difference. And maybe their coffee stayed hotter for longer or maybe they enjoyed getting 50 cents off and they might take that extra step and do it themselves next time. I think if we tell people off and we tell them what a terrible job that they're doing and how they could be doing so much more for the planet, it's not really going to make a big impact. But I think there is such something to be said by leading by example. Another one coming back to just using the same example of the reusable coffee cup. I don't look when I go to purchase a coffee out, I don't look at everybody else in the line with their single use coffee cups and kind of death stare them and glare. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, swear at them as I walk out of the coffee shop. But what I do do is I make a really big point of saying, I would like, I don't know, an oat milk cappuccino in my reusable coffee cup. And like, thank you so much for my 50 cents off. Like I'm literally that annoying person, but (laughs) you as an individual are leading by example and you're reminding the person behind you or the person in front of you all like, oh, I could have brought my own reusable cup or tomorrow I'll bring my reusable cup and I will make a difference. So I think focus on what you can control. You can cons- control your own personal con- consumption. You can control what purchases you make. You can control the types of food that you eat when you're eating out or the packaging that you consume or how you recycle but don't focus too much on getting frustrated at the fact that governments aren't recycling or the amount of single-use consumption that's happening at your local cafe. And I think that's the most important thing for me. And also remember that you're not alone, that there are hundreds of thousands of Australians around the nation that are trying to do their bit and are just like you. You're not the only one. The weight of the world isn't literally on your shoulders. I was really, from, I guess, a personal perspective, this whole trend of those reusable water bottles, like we go to uni and everyone has one now, whereas that used to be a thing. Um, Same with like lunch boxes. Everyone has like the, well, not everyone, but it's kind of like a trend now to have like a reusable container for lunch and like the cutlery packs that you bring yourself, um, which you know, has just become like a habit for Alex and I to bring along to uni. And again, we're leading by I guess that example and showing other people that you can do it. So I really like that comment about being frustrated about what other people might not be doing. Look at what you can and how you can kind of show other people the easy changes and swaps that you can make. Um, On a personal note for you, Lottie, what have you found to be, I guess, the best or the smallest change you've made that perhaps has had the biggest impact in your life? I think for me, it would actually be composting. Um, I was living in a townhouse with a couple of friends in the middle of of Sydney CBD and I just really didn't think that composting was something that I could do or participate in. And I found this amazing app called Share Waste that connects you with people in your local area that have compost bins and chickens and worm farms and are actively accepting other people's food scraps and food waste. So it's estimated that in your curbside landfill bin, 40% of that kind of mass could actually go into a compost bin. Or um, So 
that single change overnight literally cut our household waste in half. So I think that for me is something that I really recommend that people look into. If you do have the space and the desire, then there's an amazing website called Compost Revolution that actually works with your local council to give you a rebate on the cost of compost bins and worm farms. So you can get between 40 and 60% off those different products, which the council subsidizes because they want you to divert this waste from going into their red bins. Um, so that's why they kind of do it. Again, it's something that I was scared of. I'd never really composted before. I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but it was a learning experience. And my compost bin today is still like that science experiment of me going like, how long does it take for eggshells to break down versus, I don't know, a piece of citrus and things like that. So for me, that would be my biggest thing would be to try composting. Yeah, I really want to buy, I'm sure Banish sells this actually. I think I have looked at your website before and found the little compost bins um, with like the lids. Do you have one of those or is your system like a lot bigger? Just out of interest. <laughs> I'm now one of the like share waste hosts. So oh. I used to be a share waste donor. So I'd like take my scraps around the corner and things like that. But now I'm a host. So I have a worm farm and a massive compost bin because we have like three or four different households that drop off their waste to us every week. Um, so because of that, that's what I've got. But I've got one of the small little kitchen caddies, which collects my food scraps, and then I take it out to the compost bin. Yeah, right. Oh, cool. I like that. Um, I was going to actually ask you about composting, but you pretty much ticked off all my questions about that. So. <laughs> Yeah, composting is a tough one. We have a compost bin and like, yeah, the kitchen caddy and stuff. And I think it's taken us a few goes and we're still like, like, oh, it's going so well. And then we check it a bit later. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it can be a I bit think the biggest thing is that people, people don't add enough dry matter. So you yeah. literally need to be adding like every uni assignment into the compost bin to try and like bounce balance it out like you can't just add your food scraps you really need to add like dried leaves and paper and different bits and pieces yeah I remember when we were looking it up and yeah like the greens and the browns that you have to add and I thought it was going to be so hard for like to get all the greens like besides the food and I was like no yeah it's definitely the dry stuff that is the tough bit (laughs) Before we wrap up the episode, I just wanted to ask where can people find you? So social media, website, any resources or anything that you have so we can pop it all in the show notes and people know where they can find you. No worries. Yeah, so everything kind of, there's lots of resources and information and obviously the um, shop at banish.com.au. But we're also on Instagram at banish.au and then you can find me on TikTok at LottieDL, spelt properly, like you'll see it in the, I'm sure, the headline of this article, uh, sorry, of this podcast. Um, And, yeah, those are probably the easiest places to find me. I'm also on LinkedIn, but it's definitely not as much fun and you won't learn as much (laughs) as TikTok and Insta. Yeah, I can vouch for that because I have followed you, Lottie, for a number of years actually Um, and your Instagram page has, like, grown so much since I started following you so just wanted to point that out because I think it's amazing to see you grow but also form 
form a business now that is just clearly succeeding. So well done to the other. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, and I just would like to put it out to everyone that, that's listening. Um, Google searches are great in terms of what to do with your recycling, but Lottie has a number of reels um, and like infographic kind of style posts to educate you and just show you in a practical kind of video sense as to how to dispose something correctly. So I really recommend that and just following Lottie every now and then your feed will have you know like a video pop up and you'll probably learn something like I have so just wanted to thank you because I think you are definitely hitting the nail on the head with giving people realistic information and tips um because yeah I I'm like Alex sometimes I'm like I don't know where this coffee lid should go in this bin or that bin (laughs) and it's that like mental argument you have and like debate in your head every single day um but thank you so much for coming on to our podcast I have learned so much and yeah it's been really good and yeah but I hope you have a lovely week congratulations on your store in Sydney we didn't really plug that but (laughs) you just recently opened that sustainability hub I think it's called um yeah if you're in sydney it is yeah the sydney sustainability hub by banish it is literally smack bang at central station um we've got a drop-off point for brad um we also have a sustainability space so we have workshops from candle making to beeswax wraps to composting and recycling and then we also have the banish shop here so it's a huge space and we're really excited to be able to bring kind of sustainability to that mainstream audience and make it super accessible to everybody so yeah come in and visit us amazing when i'm in sydney next i'll pop in (laughs) (laughs) great can't wait thanks so much for having me yeah thanks lottie we'll let you go it's a monday night and i'm sure you've got a big week ahead but thank you again this podcast was recorded on gubby gubby land always was always will be aboriginal land Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to support us, join our Facebook group, follow our Instagram and leave the podcast a rating and review.